Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. That is right, my friends. You are listening to Conservative Not Better Talk, and I'm your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. Face, but you know what? We're not on Facebook. I should explain that really quickly for anyone who we're going to get back on there. Um, but in this transition period, we're setting up um, setting up our fifth wheel for the truth tours. We travel around the country and so forth, and there's a couple of things we've got to get straightened out there. In fact, uh, just a couple of tech things, and we're not too far off, so we're getting getting there. So if you want to listen to this program digitally right now, you do that by subscribing to the podcast, totally free, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's very simple to do, by the way. And we um, that's the way to do it digitally. We'll, we'll make some changes here and have some announcements on what we're going to be doing moving forward digitally. And I'll tell you that the best way to stay in touch with us digitally and in our online community, well, is through our online community, community.toddhuffshow.com. So here we are wrapping up a, a, a week. And anytime we get to the end of the week, you know, that there's things that I want to, there's lots of things that kind of accumulate throughout the week that we didn't get to. One of these, of course, is uh, Joy, what is it, Joy Reed? For some reason, I didn't see, yeah, Joy Reed. Morning Joy on, what is it, MSNBC, that lunatic outlet. Um, calling out this, well, basically saying that there's more fixation in the media on finding missing white girls. In fact, she calls it something that Gwen Ifill called it years ago, which is missing white woman syndrome. And that's uh, in the wake of this sad Gabby uh, Petito. Is that how you said that? Petito? Case. Um, you know, I read most of these things. I don't actually hear hear much news I normally read, so I wasn't sure Oz nods telling me that that is correct. So we'll talk about that, but I really, I want to start here. Oh, and I also want to talk about um, New York. New York coming in to save the day from those who um, work as um, delivery drivers, like for, what is it, like Grubhub and uh, the other ones called them. I'm drawing DoorDash, Grubhub. There might be one or two others. Anyway, New York is trying to help those workers, and I would maintain that what they're doing is only going to end up hurting the workers. There won't be as many, well, we'll talk about the consequences of, this is just what government does. Reagan said it best. He said it brilliantly when he said, Government's view of the economy can be summed up in these three short phrases. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. If it stops moving, subsidize it. 
We'll talk about that. But I want to start here off the top. Stop here or start here off the top by talking about the Democrats and their well, they got together yesterday. They met to try to figure out how they were going to pass um, legislation, pass these spending bills and um, this uh, so-called infrastructure bill as well. And they have announced, according here, I'm looking at this, at, uh, at the Washington Examiner, Democrats say they have a deal on tax increases. This was sometime early uh, yesterday afternoon. And the article reads like this, Congressional Democrats in the White House have reached an agreement on a, quote, framework to pay for a massive social welfare spending package, party leaders said Thursday. But they have no deal on how much they'll spend on the legislation, which initially came with a $3.5 trillion with a T, $3.5 trillion with a T dollar price tag that some party centrists, some party centrists, um, look, I maintain all these folks love big government. They may not love it as much as AOC, who, by the way, did you see her yesterday, the we the Senate or excuse me the House voted to approve um, giving money or paying for Israel's Iron Dome. That's the defense. So that's the system that has stopped all of these missiles that have been fired from the terrorists and the Palestinian um, terrorist Palestinians and and other uh, proxy terrorist groups working undoubtedly on behalf of or in conjunction with the Islamic Republic of Iran. But she was on the the House floor being consoled by another member of Congress because she was crying. She, well, who knows if they're real tears? Who knows if they're fake tears? I don't even know that I care. But this was what she did on the House floor yesterday when that legislation passed. Um providing funding for Israel's Iron Dome. I don't know if she was hoping that there wouldn't be an Iron Dome. I mean, you think about the consequences of that. The the casualties would have been massive, massive, if Israel did not have this defense system because Israel's not going to sit back and let this happen, no matter what the rest of the world tells it, no matter how much people in the United States government tell Israel to basically restrain themselves if they have no way of defending themselves we know well under the leadership of netanyahu we knew guess we'll see how things develop over time but here in recent years they have been very forceful and very definitive and very decisive on what they were going to do which is defend their people which kudos by the way to the israeli government for doing that anyway so But we have different people in Congress. Some people are extremely radical like AOC. Others have to at least pretend like they're not as radical. And some might really not be. I, you know, it's, but it's, it's a game though, right? At the end of the day, this is a game. The game is how much can I get away with? What can I, I'm telling you, this is how the majority of these representatives and senators look at this. 
How can I position whatever I'm about to vote on, whatever I'm about to say, whatever I'm about to do, how can I position this to help me politically? And to a certain extent, I suppose that's that's the name of the game and that's the business. I'm not in the business of politics. And to be honest with you, it makes me want to dry heave talking about that part of, of this. I like to talk about the ideas and I like to talk about, you know, hopefully people who want to approach these issues and deal with them logically, fairly, in accordance with the Constitution, um, in, in defense of or in conjunction with liberty and that sort of thing, not just a bunch of, well, self-righteous egotists running the country saying you should do as I say, which candidly is what the Democrat Party um, leadership anyway, and most of the of its members in the House and the Senate have, have become. Now, the rank and file, they're not that way. They've just been... Um, either stirred up to hate Trump a lot or, you know, have bought into the narrative that the Democrats are there to help the little guy, which boggles my mind when you look at what they're doing um, and you think these things through to their conclusion. What they're really doing is creating a dependency from the quote-unquote little guy. I don't even like to think about it in terms like that. We're all created in the image of God with the, uh, the same value and worth. But they think that they're there for the little guy, or they want the little guy to think that, so that he or she, sorry I used guy, that's not gender neutral. Maybe it is in today's world. I can't even keep up. But anyway, so that is, you know, we have different philosophies in in the Senate, or in the House as well, in Congress. And so you have people who say in the Democrat Party who, by the way, they run the show right now. And the way that they've used reconciliation, or they will continue to use reconciliation. I'm convinced Schumer is going to find something. Some intern there is going to find some loophole that says Schumer can use reconciliation in the Senate five more times in 2021. They never found these things before until the investigative sleuths and Schumer's team, on Schumer's team, uncovered these uh, mysterious ways to find Multiple times you can use reconciliation. You know, traditionally, reconciliation is supposed to be able to be used once or twice uh, per year. Of course, uh, Schumer may have this. We may have a half a dozen before it's all said and done. But this is what they're doing to bypass the filibuster. This is what they're doing to operate, well, just with Democrat support effectively. Just with Democrat support, 50 votes plus the tie-breaking vote from Kamala Harris, who every time I think about that, I'm reminded of Sarah Palin, who back in 2000, what would it have been, 2008, I guess, when she was being interviewed by, I think it was Katie Couric. She was asked by Katie Couric in a very condescending way, well, what what sources of news do you look at? What are you reading each day? Where do you get your information from? And then she asked her, what's the role of a vice president? And Sarah Palin said to break a tie in the Senate. And this, of course, well, to be the president, I think she said of the Senate, which, of course, means that that uh, role, the responsibility, would be to cast a tie-breaking vote. She kind of got mocked over this, but that's precisely what precisely what the vice president's major role um, has been um, with, with Kamala Harris, as she's certainly not doing anything with the southern border. She's hiding. She's, you know, not doing anything down there to help solve the problem. They have no interest in solving the problem. They have interest... And again, patronizing um, these individuals based upon their race and ethnicity to get them to vote for them once they 
enter into this country, get them to support them, get other Hispanics to believe that they're in favor, uh, that, that they're there to help these people based upon their race or ethnicity so that they can ride that wave, ride that benefit through the next election. That's how this game is unfortunately played. But they say they have a deal now. Now, they don't have a deal on the final spending or the, the final amount, apparently, if you believe these things. I mean, who knows? I, we, we've already seen uh, Joe Manchin recently say he doesn't want to vote on this stuff until after, um, after into 2022. We've had Kirsten Cinema apparently go to Joe Biden and give him an ultimatum. I mean, you can choose what you believe here. I mean, I don't know which one of these things are true, but I do believe. I do believe that there's a lot going on that none of us know about uh, behind the scenes here. And I also believe, I also believe that a lot of these leaks, a lot of this, a lot of these things that we're hearing, whether it be the the cinema ultimatum or this agreement today, is used for the narrative, is used to apply pressure. There's something else that's being uh, intended as they talk about these things, as they report these things. This is how the game is played. So, but apparently, if you if you listen to the Democrats and take them at their word, they've they've come to an agreement. The radicals, the AOCs of the world, the Ayanna Presleys, that whole group, the squad, they're apparently, if you listen again to the leaders of the House and Senate on board with with this package, and they're just kind of tweaking uh, tweaking it along the way here to come up with the final dollar amount, which that doesn't matter to them. They they don't even know. In fact, one of them, I forget I forget who it was recently. I have a name in my head, but I'm not going to say because I'm not sure it's right. But one of the, it's, it's a Democrat, said we don't even, basically, we don't know what this costs. It may turn out, we think it's close to $3.5 trillion, but it may turn out to be closer to some other number. I'm guessing that some other number is probably going to be $4 trillion or maybe more. Who knows? This is how the game is played. Numbers don't mean anything anymore. I mean, we are so past this idea of even arguing. I'm, I'm not saying I'm throwing in the towel here. I'm just saying in, 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 as far as the narrative and rhetoric and debate is concerned, there's no talk of balancing budgets, um, You know, coming up with legislation that doesn't put America in the hole, no deficit spending. That stuff is just expected today. No one even cares what it costs. I mean, you and I care, but in Congress, that's not even really uh, part of the negotiating. It's just, well, a little bit, but not too much. It's only a little bit in the negotiation so that these so-called moderates can tell their constituents, I tried to negotiate for less or, you know, maybe I did, right? We never know. If this final bill turns out to be $4 trillion, they can tell their constituents, well, behind closed doors, they were proposing 4.5 trillion which candidly is believable but that's how this game is played nothing is real this is a dog and pony show but unfortunately the things they vote on when they actually do that are real and they hurt the average american they hurt our well our liberty they hurt us in the pocketbook they hurt us by uh it's not good for the economy in fact you've seen these predictions and projections for the economy not good Obviously not. Everything's out of whack, and it's because of, largely because of a lack of faith in this leadership, a lack of faith 
and the direction of this country and some of these radical ideas that are not capitalistic. You've seen the, you may not have seen this, but the U.S. Chamber of Commerce came out and said that this is a existential threat. I'll look that up during the break. Um, I think they called it an existential threat to our country, this, this legislation. So, But again, nobody cares. No one reports that. We'll just hear about how we're going to have new roads and bridges and free child care or whatever else they put in this monstrosity. But long in this segment, got to take a time out. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Be back here in just a minute. my friends. By the way, program brought to you in part by our friends at Gatekeeper Services. IndieGatekeeper.com is the website located just outside of Indianapolis, just on the west side of Indianapolis in Plainfield. Folks, they have a lot of experience with providing automated gate installation and maintenance services. They offer affordable residential and commercial motorized units. It's a veteran-owned business. I've gotten to know these folks. Good people. Do good work. Call them today. Get a free estimate, 317-714-4061. Again, residential, commercial, motorized units. Gates for your community, for your home, for your business, anywhere you might need a motorized gate. 317-714-4061. One, be sure to tell them you heard about him here on the Todd Huff Show. I ran into Matt one day by happen chance uh, out and about um, here the past few months. But good guys. I, I just, I love, I do. We are blessed by the people that have partnered with us <clears throat> on this program. So anyway, can't talk about that too much because we got to get back to the issues as well. I mentioned before the break the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, I just want to tell you what they said specifically, they're not happy about this bill, nor should they be, no, nor should any American, for that matter, any person who believes in liberty, any person who believes in limited government, any person who believes in a constitutional government should not be happy with this at all. This is what the U.S. Chamber of Commerce president and CEO her name's Suzanne Clark. This is what she said via a statement. The reconciliation bill is effectively 100 bills in one, representing every big government idea that's never been able to pass in Congress. And remember, how are they doing this? They're doing this via budget reconciliation because this would not survive a filibuster. This is what the Democrats do, folks, when they're in power. And I'll tell you what. If something derails this, which I'm not predicting, but it might, who knows, if something derails this, believe me, the intensity and the push to eliminate the filibuster, at least for certain things, will be revitalized and they will do everything in their power. Mark these words. They will do everything in their power to make that a reality, to get these liberal uh, utopian issues into law why they still can because they're they know they're they know unless things change dramatically or unless they can well i don't want to say that 
I do want to say that, but unless there's something with, um, I mean, Maricopa County. How about this? Maricopa County is coming out today, supposedly this afternoon, about one o'clock, with um, their findings. There's going to be a report before the Senate in Arizona on their findings about, you know, voter, uh, j- just their findings with the audits and so forth. But going back to the the CEO here of the chamber, um, she says here this bill is an existential threat to America's fragile economic recovery and future prosperity. Of course it is. It absolutely is. Anyway, so I, th- there's so much to get to today, and these things are – these things are certainly, um, certainly important. This bill, which should be—I mean, if you if you take them at their word—should be passing. Um, maybe voted on next week. We'll see. We'll see how this whole thing plays out. Um, something else I wanted to make sure I got to today is something I—I uh, didn't skip it. I just didn't have time for it earlier in the week. I referenced it off the top. Yahoo News, Joy Reid, that's Morning Joy on MSNBC, where either people who want to be entertained, like I go from time to time to watch, just to see, just to see the performance of utter craziness, or where people go who really believe for some unknown reason that they're getting news and information. That's where folks go. But I want you to listen to this soundbite. This was a couple of days ago. I just haven't played it yet, but I want to. I want to share this with you. I want to share this with you because it's just remarkable to me. It's remarkable to me that this is the first thought of somebody when there's a missing person. The the race. What in the world? This is this is sick, folks. This is truly, utterly sick. We have. A missing girl who's now been uh, found to have been, well, they believe, murdered. That's the charges um, by her fiancé. And what Joy Reid cares about is the is the race. This is this is sick. This is a problem. This is this is what we're told we're not supposed to do when Black Lives Matter tells us that you know this particular individual or a particular individual was shot by police you're not allowed to say anything else you're just supposed to say their name that's what we're supposed to do say their name but joy reed when the shoes you know um on a different foot and when there are instead of when when a person who's killed is white she has a problem that the media covers it's just craziness to me i think every decent person if there is something knows that if something is worth reporting, of course we have biased media, and of course the media is leftist. She's she's criticizing the leftists for being racist, which is interesting to me to think about as well. But I don't. These things are tragic. If they happen, no matter who they happen to, I don't know why. I do know why people have th- th- these things divide and create anger and emotions, and they've been used as weapons to divide people and to get political political benefits by dividing and conquering people. That's why Biden said in 2020 to Charlemagne the God, which is ridiculous in and of itself, but Charlemagne the God, he said, 
you ain't black, Charlemagne, if if you vote for Trump. <laughs> what on earth? Who thinks like that? Who talks like that? Who thinks like this with Joy Reid? Here you go. Why isn't it going? Come on, Joy Reid. Bear with me here. Just play this here. Let's try it again. But the way this story has captivated the nation has many wondering, why not the same media attention when people of color go missing? Well, the answer actually has a name, missing white woman syndrome, the term coined by the late and great Gwen Eiffel to describe the media and public fascination with missing white women like Lacey Peterson or Natalie Holloway, while ignoring cases involving missing people of color. Joining me now is Derricka Wilson, co-founder. I'm not going to get into all this, this, all this interview. It's just a waste of utter waste of time. But do you realize I looked this up in the Natalie Holloway case? Tragic and sad. That was 2005, folks. Lacey Peterson, I believe. I think I saw 2002. Is that what I saw here? Lacey Peterson. 27 years old, eight months pregnant, disappeared on Christmas Eve 2002. That, of course, was um, her husband, Scott Peterson, was found guilty um, of her, of committing her murder, I think was the, the charge there. But so there's, that's 19 years ago. Do you know how, you know how rare it is for these things? And I find myself wondering, what is it about this case? And that sounds terrible to say because all, there are so many of these sad cases, right? These terrible, terrible cases. People go missing. People are murdered by a loved one. In this case, that's what's being alleged. That's happened so many times. So I looked it up, and it kind of boggled my mind here. But in 2020, 2020, um, there were almost 60,000. It was 59,369 females who were 21 and over who... Um, went missing. That's what this says. 59,369 females over the age of 21 reported missing in 2020. Now, there's two hundred, almost 210,000 females under the age of 21. The same is true. I mean, similar numbers for males, 178,000 and some, you know, a little bit more than that, under 21 go missing or reported missing. Uh, 21 and over is 95,000. And she's literally saying that the media ignores. Look, I'm not a defender of the media. The media is run by professional deceivers. The re- The media is run by radical leftists and, I mean, crazies, right? People who want you to believe a certain thing. They want you to have certain ideas that advance the liberal agenda. So I'm not defending them. But if she's right, she's calling her liberal colleagues racist, which I think many of them are given their fascination with race. But but the idea that there's 60,000 women, 21 and over in 2020, that were reported missing, and she's going to go back to the cases of Natalie Holloway and Lacey Peterson to make a point to say that women of color are ignored. I mean, it sounds like to me most people are almost all are ignored. Doesn't seem like that's the explanation to me, but anyway, she's got a name for it. Missing 
what is it, missing white woman syndrome or some such thing. Just the, the lack of empathy and concern and humanity here boggles my mind when these folks, they, they, they always focus on something uh, besides just the real part of the story here. They want to make it about something else. This is about a young lady who's now dead. And you know what? It doesn't matter what her color is, folks. She's a human being, and now she's not here. Allegedly killed at the hands of her fiancé, which is atrocious. It's atrocious for any race, any gender, any age. Shouldn't have to say this, but you do because of people like Joy Reid. Quick time out. Listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. friends. So, um, I wanted to talk briefly here, really briefly, um, about something New York City had done, just had done yesterday, headline CNBC here, New York City passes bills, plural, offering protections to food delivery workers. Now, I'm not saying that there's never a time for any legislation or any you know, for for a government to get involved ever for some, you know, most times the reasons are not legitimate in my estimation. But, but what ends up happening here, and I I've never there was a time I actually did not not the food delivery, but years back I used to I, I for a short time, um, just as I was I don't know I'm curious I had some you know. I thought with my my driving patterns, and maybe it would make sense with the way my schedules were to just uh, to do some ride sharing stuff. And I remember going through the process. I remember um, looking at now that I'm like again, there may be differences right between things like Uber Eats. That was the other one, Uber Eats, DoorDash, and Grubhub. But you know the the company made you aware that. You were an independent contractor. Basically, what they do is they created the app, they created the buzz, they marketed it, they got people to download it, they invested the the time and resources it took to build the app, develop the brand, get people to use it, and said, "Hey, we need people to help drive. So if you want to, if you just want to sign up as a driver, you're a 10.99 contractor, and you can, you can." you know, make some extra money. And that's how it started. But again, as Reagan said, Reagan said, if it moves, tax it. If it, um, if it keeps moving, regulate it, right? So if it's, if it's successful and it's making money, you got to find a way. This is how government looks at it. You got to find a way to take money from them to make them pay their quote-unquote fair share. Because it's egregious if companies make too much money. But you think, what do you think these investors thought going in? They looked at what the potential was. Now, because of government intervention here, that dynamic has has changed. Do investors not have rights? Not every investor is some wealthy bazillionaire. There's people that have really liked the idea that might have poured a lot of money into this. I don't know. I'm not saying that that's specifically the case here, but that does happen. 
why are we so quick to say, well, this person has too much? I, I just don't bother with those things. I, I just think that that's a, an effort in futility. It, you know, people were able to make money off of these services. Anyway, so if it keeps moving, regulate it, right? So that's made money, it's still making money, so we got to step in and regulate it. And that's the way that it works because, again, government thinks that they know best. Government thinks that it's an arbiter of fairness. When in reality, if a contractor and a, and a company and a third party, in this case, it's not a rideshare service, but it's similar. They're delivering food via a car or some sort of transportation like that. And all three parties agree, the, the driver agrees to do it, the company agrees to, you know, to do it, and the person pays the money for it. At what point, at some point, you have to say that was working, right? That was that was working. But see, they don't like this. They don't like they like having control. I'm reminded of the taxi cab drivers and how hard they have fought to keep um, these these rideshare folks, these drivers from getting near airports and all these sorts of things. And I get it. Taxi drivers have had to pay a ton of money in places like like New York City. But then you ask yourself the question, why? Why are, why did we let that happen to begin with? Right? I mean, if there's new innovative innovative ways to transport people and people are willing to do it and it saves them money, why why? And what's going to end up happening, it's being portrayed as though these changes are going to be good for the drivers, but what's going to happen when the company, the company's going to have a decision now. Now it's changed that dynamic between company, contractor, and and the person buying the good or service. Now the person, the, the company is either going to have to raise their rates or there's going to have to be something, or they're maybe lose investors because they're not going to be as profitable. What's going to give there? If they raise their rates, will people use the service as much? Right? And now the, the worker is being told that he or she is actually being saved and protected by the government, but there's a good chance now that some of these folks won't stay around because they have to be given uh, minimum wages. And if there's less customers because maybe the rates have to go up or there's less profit, these companies are going to have to think about these things. How do we how do we manage this new set of realities and circumstances? Anyway, I just saw this today. Wanted to talk about it briefly. And that's what we did. I, I think it's it's important to understand this. There's always, there's always consequences of government intervention. Always. The law of unintended consequences. And something is not going to turn out. It's not going to turn out the way that it's being portrayed. That I do know. Quick time out. Back here in just a minute. Cool. Welcome back, my friends. So, and again, there's just, there's so many things that I want to get to, especially on a Friday. I'm trying to make sure we at least talk about some of these things. Did you see, I, I love this, by the way. Well, first of all, a couple of things here, um, I guess, as, as we're beginning the process of wrapping up a, a busy week here. But first and foremost, keep your eyes on Maricopa, Maricopa County in Arizona tomorrow they're going to be excuse me today they're going to be doing a an audit report a presentation to the Senate um, 
And this is, you know, what we're going to find out some more information about what happened in the state of Arizona. So we need to keep a, a sharp eye out for that. And then the, the other thing, I, I have, this is fantastic to me. Headline of this Washington Examiner article, and this is, this is referencing a poll done by Rasmussen, which I think Rasmussen, is, as polling places go, is about as reputable as you're going to get. Uh, they're not trying to. They're trying to actually give you data that they that they discover that they find from their uh, the participants in their survey. So they're not trying to do push polling and manipulate public opinion and change public opinion. They're trying to tell you what they found. So 2024, right? The next presidential election, 2024. Trump is. <laughs> this is absolutely fantastic to me. Trump. <laughs> Trump would win against Biden head-on, 51 to 41. 10 points. 10 points, Oz. Independent voters would overwhelmingly choose the Republican by 20 points over the incumbent. You think, well, fine, the, the, the Democrats know that Biden's not their guy. There's no way. If he makes it through this first term, there's no way he's going to run again. Okay, then let's look at Kamala Harris. It's even worse <laughs> It's even worse. I know we're three years out here, folks. Trump would win, it says, in a head-to-head battle with Kamala Harris, 52 to 39. So again, I'm telling you, they are they are wigging out. That's why this legislation that we talked about at the, off the top, that's why it's so important for them. That's why they want to get control and, and federalize elections. They know that if things are... Uh, if there's not something to secure them or to insulate them from what's coming in November of 2022, they are going to get shellacked. They're going to get shellacked. So I got to take a break. Come back and wrap up. Sit tight. Back here in just a minute. Folks, I hate to tell you that is all the time that we have, all the time that we have this week. As always, it is an absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure to be here. Encourage you to join us on our online community, community community.todhuffshow.com, totally free. There will be some, um, some paid access for some bonuses, but you can follow the truth tour there. And I encourage you to do so as we're about to kick that off and Take the message of truth around this country. Heaven knows we need it, folks. I appreciate it so much. Have a wonderful weekend. SDGC Monday. Take care. Huh.